Over the mountains. This is episode 12, Babes in Toyland from 1986. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And with us today, we have a very special guest, Jess Knight. Hello, Jess. Hey, guys. Hey, so you picked this movie pretty quickly. I had never heard of it before we started this. What about Babes in Toyland? Why do you want to do this movie? Because it's a weird movie. This movie is absolutely ludicrous. So... You had seen it once before, right? Yes, only one other time, and it stuck with me, specifically the Cincinnati song. Mm-hmm. People in this movie love Cincinnati, and we'll get to it, but they love Cincinnati in a way that, like, I don't think anybody in the real world loves anywhere. Like, they love Cincinnati. Yeah, well, they sing yeah. about it like it's like it's New York, like, <laughs> you know, like that's the only other city that I could see being treated that way as much as they love Cincinnati. Let's sing about well, it. Well, they love Cincinnati. They love Pete Rose, who was on the red. They call him the king of Cincinnati because he had so many hits in baseball. Maybe they say the Bengals. I'm not sure. I just I don't know if I've ever seen another movie set in Cincinnati. The only thing I could think of was that HBO series, John from Cincinnati. This is not like a common place for movies to hang out, but here we go. We got Babes in Toyland in the heart of Cincinnati. The bulk of this film will take place in Toyland. For some reason, though, yeah, we, we need this starter. Uh, I just going to mention that this has been remade a lot of times. Like I remember right. as a kid seeing the 1934 version on TV uh, and kind of being frightened of it a lot. And then there's a really interesting version from Disney and Technicolor from the 60s. And I had like a little bit of familiarity with with the franchise, I guess, or <laughs> <laughs> with the property, I guess I'll right. say. And none of them have this Wizard of Oz framing device attached to it. So this is this was new for Babes in Toyland. Like this seems okay. like something they added specifically to this version. Well, I was looking at the guy who wrote the book on IMDb, and the only credit he has is, like, eight story credits, and they're all adaptations of Babes in Toyland. So I don't know what else this guy did in terms of his career, but the only thing that he's ever been made into a TV show or a movie are eight different Babes in Toyland. So there's a lot of these floating around. It is basically Wizard of Oz. It's weird. I feel like maybe they picked Cincinnati because the Wizard of Oz was set in Kansas. And it's like, oh, let's just pick another Midwest town where, you know, a little girl can be whisked away to a land of whatever to learn a lesson and see all of her friends and family in that world and then come back and sort of apply the lesson to her everyday life. You know, much like Dorothy is whisked away by a tornado, she is sort of whisked away by a blizzard. But the lesson in this movie doesn't really make itself clear until the very, very end, which is just, hey, be a kid, right? Like, that's the point of the movie, right? It's just, like, enjoy being a kid. But, like, is that really a lesson? So I've never actually had someone say, you should act more like a kid to me. It's always, you need to act like an adult. There's the one line that she has at the very end of the movie, that this is 11-year-old Drew Barrymore saying this, and she says, I always wanted to be a kid. I always wanted to play with toys. It's like, well... Just do it. Like, you can do it. Like, you're 11. I feel like the movie doesn't set up if her mother was out of the picture or, you know, some kind of terrible mother. You know, that's one thing. Like, I can see her having to take care of her younger brother. But they have, like, a housekeeper. They have a younger brother who the mom seems very attentive to. 
we don't really spend too much time actually in Cincinnati, but it doesn't seem like there's any reason for Drew Barrymore to actually be a grown-up as a kid, right? Like, it just seems like she just wants to do that for for no reason. I was noticing yeah. that the whole film. I'm like, okay, so why aren't you a kid? Your sister's older than you. It's not like you guys are orphans. You have a mom. You have a little brother. She's right. like the middle child. Is she, like, just looking to fit in? I never really understood that. The whole movie. Yeah, that threw me too as well. I was like, that's her lesson? To be more of a child, more childlike, have more fun? It seems like she was having a great time in Toyland this whole time, pulling pranks and doing tricks. And the setup, I suppose, is just that she's the only one home on Christmas Eve by herself, but everyone else is about to join her in like an hour. Right. You know? <laughs> so I almost wonder if that moment at the end is Drew Barrymore talking, like as the as the actress herself. I never had oh. a childhood. I never had those moments. I, I never got that chance. I like that a lot because we – I think early on, before we decided we were going to do Keanu, you and I were brainstorming a whole lot of different actors and actresses. And I think one person that we mentioned, and I don't think we ever really seriously considered doing it, but I think we mentioned at one point Drew Barrymore yeah. because she's got this sort of fascinating story where she was a child actress and then got real deep into hard drugs and went to rehab and, like, you know, bounced back and is now still, like, a successful actress as an adult. And so her journey would have been interesting to follow. So I sort of want to know, and we were just saying, I think, right before we started recording, like, whether or not this was the movie that, like, was right before her downfall, or who knows. But I think it's kind of funny that, you know, whether we did her or Keanu, we were sort of always destined to do this movie. So (laughs) here we are in Babes in Toyland, and whatever the Drew Barrymore backstory is, we see it at this point in her life. So the movie begins, and it's Christmas Eve, right? And they're all about to have, like, Christmas Eve dinner. And she hears on the TV, right before the TV and the phone go out, that like there's a huge blizzard coming to Cincinnati. And so the mom and the younger brother are on the way home, but they're getting chains for their tires. So don't worry about them. They're going to be fine. But she has to go to this toy store and warn her sister and her sister's friends, apparently, that there's a blizzard coming and they need to leave work now and get home safe because she's worried. And I guess this is kind of, you know, her motherly instinct that maybe, you know, she doesn't feel like she needs to be, like she's not, she doesn't need to be a mom, but maybe she just wants to be a mom. And there's also that line really, really early in the movie, like right before her sister goes to work, she's like, I got you a present. And then Drew Barrymore says, what is it? Is it a blender? And then the sister's like, no. Like, she's like, like, caught off guard, sort of, but she's like, no, and then I'm also not going to tell you. And then she's like, I'm just kidding, it's a sled. And she's like, oh, okay. I got you a great present. Don't ask what it is. It's a surprise. I bet it's a new blender. Well, then what is it? I won't tell you. You're a rat. <laughs> it's a sled. A sled? I thought for a change you might want something fun. Oh, I think a sled's a terrific present. I love you. Who anywhere of any age is your first guess of a gift to be a blender? Like, does that make sense to anybody? I got a blender as a gift once, and let me tell you, I was not happy about it. So the fact that she's excited (laughs) about potentially getting a blender, something is wrong here. Yeah, I understand now, having seen the end of the film, this is an attempt to set up that she takes yourself as more of a mature adult than a kid trying to have fun that right the way they do it is just so confusing so she races down to the toy store and we see the ultimate evil of the movie is this guy 
It's the guy who plays Barnaby. What's his name in the real world? Barnabas, maybe? Yes. I don't know. His name is Barnabas at the toy store. You know, so everybody, like we were saying in The Wizard of Oz, people in real world play the people in Toyland, but they're all their names all line up. Like, Keanu is Jack, but he's now Jack B. Nimble. And this guy, Barnabas, who's Jack and her older sister Mary's boss, he plays this guy, Barnaby. And Mary, the older sister, is now Mary Mary Quite Contrary. And it's just like, oh, like, it's cute, I think. But it's also sort of like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But we meet the ultimate evil is this guy Barnabas Barnaby. And he is this guy who, like, so stereotypically does not care about the safety of anyone and is willing to keep his store open on Christmas Eve because it's his biggest sales day of the year. This guy is just like a complete and total miser type character. He reminded me almost of Rodney Dangerfield. Like the actor was almost yeah. doing a Rodney impression and he is all jittery and creepy and stuff too. And uh, I, yeah, I got a, I got a definite villain vibe right off the bat from this guy. And uh, yeah, and Drew goes there and she's there to get her sister to tell her to go home. And this guy is like, you're not going anywhere. Like I tell people <laughs> when to go home, you know, and it takes the help of Keanu to, to actually get them out of there. I wrote down that he's doing a Rodney Dangerfield impression just because, like, the way he, like, it's not just, like, what he's saying, but it's the way he's talking. It's just like, oh, like, this is just a very obvious, it's not even, like, a reference. It's just like, I'm just going to copy Rodney Dangerfield because, like, that's who I want to be in this movie. The only thing I wrote down about that guy was he must do his hair with Crisco because it looks mighty <laughs> greasy. He's sort of just like a, like a, like the worst villain, just like a gross, creepy, like, does not care about safety. The one thing that's weird, though, is that after Drew Barrymore gets on the intercom, really sort of crossing the lines of, like, what, what we're kind of going to be allowed here, and she like, she's like, there's a blizzard coming, everybody get out, and people start, like, running out of the store. Like, I don't know if you guys noticed, the exit door was, like, halfway down, that steel mm-hmm. door, and it's just like, well, like, it seems like the store is about to close anyway, or, you know what I mean? Like, we're, like what, what is going on? Um... <laughs> That I noticed as well is like he's trying to maybe lock them in there to keep them shopping on Christmas Eve or something like that. <laughs> and then part of me was just, oh, it's maybe it's just a gaff on the part of of the uh, people making the movie. But uh, what I got out of this scene was push the teddy bear, push the teddy bear. Like, I don't know why that stuck in my head, but it's just this guy was obsessed with selling teddy bears. This whole movie's insane, but like the, what they're setting up as the real world itself, you know, like what the movie's trying to do to ground you in a reality is in of itself completely insane. Like this is just not the way things work in the real world. Uh, it's just very manic and madcap right from the beginning. Yeah, the movie doesn't seem interested in setting up a realistic world here at all. What it's doing or trying to do, I think, instead is just set up these characters. We know who they are and how they interact with each other. So we have the boss, Barney, who becomes Barnaby, and he is this ultimate evil. And then we have Keanu, who plays Jack, and he's in love with Mary, but Mary's like, I can't eat three pizzas. Like, after Keanu asked her out for pizza, she's like, I can't eat three pizzas. Like, I, you only need to do one. And she's like, well, I got asked out by all these guys to eat pizza. And it's just like, on Christmas Eve? Like, who? Like, what? Um, it's sort of like, it reminds me kind of of uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice, where it's just like, it's taking place on his birthday just for no reason. Like this is just like on Christmas Eve, just because, but like the things that are happening don't really, it's just like a nor- another day. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's like this budding romance between them, even though like, it doesn't seem like they're really together. But when we get to Toyland, it's like, these are the two great loves destined for each other. 
Yeah, I never really got that either. And part of me, when I was first watching the movie, I thought, okay, there's going to be something here where, like, Drew wishes she was cool like her older sister. Maybe that's why she wanted to be older. And then we get to Toyland, and it's like, what is happening? The massive interconnecting web of how everyone (laughs) knows each other. I felt like I needed to get out a map and just, like, draw people's faces and connect them all together. It's real weird. Yeah, I feel like Drew is just sort of projecting people she knows onto the personalities of the characters in Toyland. So maybe it's not necessarily Jack, who's Jack being nimble, but she knows a Jack in the real world, and it looks like Keanu. So this one's going to have to do while she's sort of in her coma. So I have a theory, and I think it's kind of an obvious theory, and I'm sure that it's what we're supposed to extrapolate. But when we get to Toyland, their mom, who's Mrs. Piper, plays old mother hubbard who's in imdb is credited as widow hubbard so are we to sort of assume in the real world that their father died and maybe that's what sort of messed up drew barrymore and now she has to take care of the family because they don't have the father figure i wish that connection was more overt that would have been great that would have been something to, to sort of drive her motivations but no yeah that's amazing that you even pieced that together joey that was like some serious ben gates detecting right there <laughs> But that's like sort of what it kind of has to be, right? Like if she's mm-hmm. projecting her mom as this old widow, you know, that means that in her subconscious, in her psyche or whatever, her dad's not in the picture anymore. No, oh, yeah, I think that's that's actually quite amazing. It's it's a shame you had to go all the way to IMDb to, or, sure. you know, in the credits. to The way you had to extrapolate that is a bummer, but like it's amazing that you got there. The only thing I want to make sure that we talk about before we actually get to Toyland is that they convince the boss... They don't really even convince the boss to leave. Like They just sort of up and leave the store, and they're all on the way home. They cause it's, a riot, basically. Let's just cause put it riot. up front, right? Like She gets on the thing, and she's like, everybody's got to go. The storm's coming. And they just start rushing, and, right. and they get out in the rush. And so Keanu's like, oh, my Jeep has four-wheel drive. I'll take you guys home. And his Jeep, meanwhile, is not an enclosed Jeep, but it just has like plastic flaps for sides. And it's snowing. It's like you know 30 degrees. They've got to be freezing. And they're riding down the street, but they're all having a great time, and they're all singing the Cincinnati song. And I know Jess loves the Cincinnati song. This is going to be the best Christmas in the history of the world. Right here in Cincinnati. Welcome to glorious Cincinnati, queen of Ohio's alpine ski resorts. I come from right before the Cincinnati song or maybe it was like shortly after Drew Barrymore looks like she is about to lose her lunch in the back seat. I mean she looks <laughs> like she is just about to 
throw up all over everyone is having a miserable time being in the back of this jeep. I mean, that's funny. I think that's probably not her as an as like a character. That's probably just her as an actress. <laughs> but what I like in the world of the movie is that Keanu's like, I'll get you guys home safe. Like, my car is the best car to take. And then he's like not able to drive well at all. He's like skidding <laughs> all over the road. He ultimately stops short, right? And that's what ejects Drew Barrymore out of the back of the Jeep <laughs> and down the hill on her sled and ostensibly crashes into a tree head first. And I sort of wish, I mean, we don't really see the aftermath of that. And at the end of the movie, she's just going to wake up at home like nothing went wrong. But I sort of wish, like, in a sort of like a darker version, we cut to them in the middle of the movie and they're all, like, gathered around her with, like, a head wound and just, like, blood gushing. And, like, they have to, like, bring her home. Yes. Because, like, we, we don't see them react to her. She just, like, flies out the back. As soon as she's about to crash, we're just whisked off to Toyland. And then at the end of the movie, when we come back, she's just at home. So, like, the whole, like, terrifying moment where the older sister and two friends are like, oh, we probably just killed this young girl. That's just not in the movie at all. Yeah, I even wrote that down. I was at the very end. I'm like, I need some resolution. How did everyone get home? How did they find her? Why did everyone change clothes? Is she still wearing the same thing? Like, she looks like she has no scratches (laughs) on her. Oh, yeah. I needed some resolution there. Also, the lesson of this scene is... Don't sing and drive, people, especially uh, in the middle of a blizzard, because th- that is ultimately what causes him to lose control, is just they're having so much fun as they're singing the Cincinnati song. And luckily, Drew is sitting on her gift, which was the sled. So I don't know if that was lucky, because when she gets ejected, it just she's on the sled and she slides even farther and longer down the hill, um, probably you know causing that head wound to be worse when she hits the tree. Definitely during watching the middle of this movie, I was like, oh, I just need a hard cut to reality right now. Like Joey said, like with everybody gathered around and then smash cut back to Toyland where she's having the greatest time and just do that two or three times throughout the movie to update us on her progress. But I don't know if that is quite up to the G-rated standard that they're going for here. Perhaps in the Um, next remake, that's how it's going to go down. mm. Because this movie is rated G. It's another one of the Keanu TV movies. I feel like he's done probably like four or five or six in 86 alone. Like he's doing all these TV movies. He's been on every network. It's also worth pointing out that the cut that's sort of readily available, the one that's on VHS or currently on Stars Play for some reason, is 96 minutes long. Apparently there was a version that was 140 minutes long where it just had a whole lot of extra songs, like 45 minutes of extra songs. And that's apparently, you know, they aired that originally, and then it sort of disappeared forever. And I think it's sort of kicking around the dark corners of the internet, but it's not the version that's out there. But I sort of want to know, like, this movie is insane in good and bad ways. I want to know what the other 45 minutes of insanity looks like, but I also kind of don't want to watch this movie again. Yeah, I could only imagine a seven-minute version of the Cincinnati song. I was very shocked that this even had songs in it. I was surprised that they were going to go there with the remake. I thought it was just going to be a straight story. And then you could kind of tell that the song sort of cut short and that something was going on. And when you mentioned to me the longer cut, I was like, oh, yeah, like you can definitely feel the edges of this version here and there. There are just leaps in story, I feel, and like people feel one way and then they feel another way for no reason in the next scene. <laughs> There's just leaps of logic that are missing. 
maybe the songs explained a bit. Who knows? Because they cut out a third of the movie. Like, a third of the movie is gone. Like, that's not like they just cut out a few scenes. Like, it's just, like, significant portions of this story are just gone. And what's left sort of makes sense, but also sort of doesn't. <laughs> I feel like this is also the first instance we have of Dogstar Keanu, right? I mean, he was stereo teen in Letting Go, but I don't think he's really had too much singing or musical stuff, and he's singing here. Yeah, that was unexpected, too. I, I totally forget all the time about Dogstar for some reason. It's just not, it just hasn't <laughs> stuck in my head yet since we've started Keanu Club. Maybe because it's music and we're doing the movies, but I'd like to get into it. But yeah, this is something to start looking for again. Like, will his singing pop up more throughout his film career? I don't know. But after they're singing the Cincinnati song, which I guess, is there a name or is it just called the Cincinnati song? That's a good question, and I actually hope I never find out, because after this, I bet you I'm going to go sing this to my dog. Ooh. <laughs> I started writing down my own titles to songs. Like, I just wrote down, okay, this one's called Let's Hear It. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Pat Morita starts singing a song. And I was like, all right, it's just called The Pat Morita Sings. If you can think with the mind of a child, leave and be lost in fantasy. You me that's more precious than gold you will always hold in your childlike mind. Precious dreams other folks don't find. Okay, I have the name of the song. I found the name of the song, and I'm gonna tell you because it's better than the the Cincinnati song as a title. It's called C I N C I N N A T I. C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I-Cincinnati. With all dashes in between the letters. So it's just the, the word Cincinnati spelled out. So, you know, it's that's kind of a great name, I think. That it's it's not just the Cincinnati song, it's just Cincinnati, but C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I. Kind of a great name for a song. It's always memorable, right? You, you're never going to forget what that song's about or the no, name. it's about Cincinnati. Line. Yeah, it can't yeah. be. Yeah, you don't name a song that and write it about Georgia or something. So after they leave Cincinnati, we're whisked off to Toyland, and the first thing we see are all these, like, people in animal costumes, and I'm trying to figure out if these are people, like, are these supposed to be animals, or are these just people as animals? Because the world is populated by both people and <laughs> these animals, and also monsters. And, like, are, are we to believe that these are animals, or are these people? Yeah, I was really confused about that. My favorite part when Drew was entering Toyland, though... Wasn't the fact that she looked confused that she saw all of these, I don't know, magical creatures. It was the fact that she sees this really big cake and she's like, oh, look, a cake. And she gets like really excited and it cuts back to her face and she's like, oh, God, I'm going to stroll like right into this cake. Yeah, It's the biggest cake I've ever seen that didn't have a stripper come out of it. Like it's just like a gigantic stripper cake for this wedding that's going to be between Barnaby and Mary Contrary. And she just crashes her flying sled right into it and then just like basically just gets out, shakes off the cake and walks away like she didn't just ruin the day. For me, this Toyland was kind of a letdown. I mean, (laughs) it looks like she's flying over Six Flags storybook land or something like that. As the movie went on, I accepted it more and more for its limitations and what they're actually able to produce out of what they had. And these animal creature people are supposed to be 
you know, like the nursery rhyme characters. Like, I think there's like the three little pigs are there somewhere and Humpty Dumpty's sitting around and stuff. Uh, the only issue with any of them is that they're never going to have any lines. You're never going to hear the frogman talk like, or I need more frog stuff for my pipe or anything, you know, or let's go help them. So I was a little disappointed in that, that only the humans had the speaking roles and then the humanoids and um, all the other creatures and stuff just sort of were background. Well, you told me while you were watching that you sort of wished that it was like CGI, right? That we had like yeah. a better... Yeah, so I, I definitely think having watched three versions of this in 24 hours that there is something here that you could take nowadays and craft and make it a really great children's film and use motion capture and computer graphics and all that kind of stuff because what this is a shared universe in the sense of like the marvel verse where you have old mother hubbard and humpty dumpty <laughs> living next door to each other you know it's like all the nursery rhymes are colliding here in toyland it's you know it's almost got that roger rabbit feel once you get to toontown where warner brothers and disney's are mixing as well i feel like the movie doesn't go far enough in terms of establishing this universe they could milk it for so much more and maybe that's in the 45 minute version you know what i mean like that maybe that's what they cut out but there was one line that i really laughed at where mary shows lisa where she lives and she lives in old mother hubbard's old shoe and she's like oh i thought you know old mother hubbard lived here and she's like oh she had so many kids that she had to move into a pair of boots and it's like that's the kind of joke that like you can make and it just you know what i mean like it just it it's not it's not done enough I, like, I, I, I laughed out loud at that line, but I wish that there was more of that. You know what I mean? I didn't really feel like this was a universe so much as it was just, like, <laughs> a few houses on a street and then some woods. <laughs> like, it was just, like, this little bubble, maybe inside of a snow globe somewhere. Like, that's all there is. Or a child's mind, perhaps. <laughs> like, we do find out it's, it's supposed to all be in her head at the end. But you're right. Her imagination doesn't have much scope, as we're going to learn, because she imagines like a block of Toyland and then the Forbidden Forest where no one's allowed to ever go again. So this is the question I have. So the way that it's described to her is that there's Toyland, which is basically sort of like a circle town, right? And then around that town is the Forbidden Forest. And then from how it's described, there's just nothing else. Like, that's all there is. But like, where do these people think this girl came from? Cincinnati. But they don't even know what Cincinnati is because they keep calling yeah. it Cincy-Wutsky. Yeah, at one yeah. point they say she's from another planet. She literally flies into town on a sled, <laughs> and then people are just like, oh, we're cool with this girl who just showed up out of nowhere. I want to have an explanation for it, but then it's like, how do I explain the guy with the frog head, too? It's almost like they've seen stuff like this all the time. Like, oh, this is how Barnaby showed up. One day he just fell out of the sky and decided to live in a bowling ball and, you know, create two Nosferatus to follow him <laughs> around. So, yeah, it seems like they just, I don't know, they don't have the mental capacity to actually process that kind of stuff, so they're just going with it. You know who else doesn't have the mental capacity to process stuff is Drew Barrymore. Because, so in The Wizard of Oz... All the people in her life are sort of these other things. Like, one is a lion, one is the tin man, one's a scarecrow, and they're all sort of, and like a witch, you know what I mean? Like, they're all dressed up to the point where, like, you could sort of believe that it's not the person, right? But here, it's literally just Keanu Reeves in a different outfit, or it's her sister in a wedding dress. Like, how is she not recognizing these people? Or are we just supposed to believe that, like, in her brain damaged from hitting the tree self, she doesn't know who these people are? 
Yeah, that's where I was going with it, too. I, I almost needed her to recognize them at some point to be like going up to her and be like, snap out of it, sis. Like, this isn't real or something. But she never addresses any of that. I don't know why none of this bothers her, but she doesn't seem to realize that they look just like the people she knows. Maybe she's just too confused by Santa Claus being real and other things like wooden soldiers the size of like actual people. Sort of the first friend that she makes in Toyland is Georgie Porgy, who in the real world is just like their co-worker George. And he's not really, he doesn't do anything, I don't think, in the opening scene aside from leave with Keanu. But he just sort of needs to be there so that he can show up in Toyland. And this dude has infinity cookies just stuffed in his hat. I call them what? scalp cookies. <laughs> That's even worse. That's even worse. He just, like, takes his hat off and just hands her cookies, and she's just like, oh, okay, and just starts eating them. Like, ugh, ugh. Just thinking about, like, hair on them, you know, maybe lice, whoever, whatever's in that hat, you know, sweat. It's just, like, not a good place to store cookies, dude. Yeah, and we learned that cookies are the main sort of product of Toyland. Well, maybe aside from toys, we come to learn that too, but there's a, a huge cookie factory that comes into play at some point in this, and Georgie Borgi, being the, the cookie man at the end, follows the cookie clue and figures out where the cookies went and all that, but I was just sort of thrown by, yeah, the amount of cookies in this. Um, at one point, Drew Barrymore gets a license to drive in Toyland, and it's made out of a cookie. Right, which is, what? what's the point of that? Like, what's the point of the driver's license at all? Like, even, like, as a joke, like, what's the point of the driver's license if it's just a cookie that you hand someone? How does know. that make any sense? <laughs> but, so, the driver's license is cookie. At the factory where they're, you know, manufacturing sweets, I guess, Barnaby goes in there, he's like, cookie break, and it reminded me sort of of Mr. Show when David Cross is that eccentric boss, he's like, to foodie time and it's just like he yells cookie break and everybody like sprints out of the factory to go eat cookies and then he's just free to do his nefarious deeds what i realized is that like what toyland is lacking is in any and all nutritional value everybody just eats cookies and cakes and that's totally okay i would live in that world where i could eat nothing but cookies and cakes all the time i think maybe that's that provides their lack of attention span, right? Why they're just easily distracted and they don't really seem to notice uh, strange new things for that long and let them bother because it's like, oh, wait, okay, something else. What's that? More sugar. I guess that's also what must have happened to, like, the health inspector because in the back room of this sweets factory, there's just, like, a trap door that opens to, like, a green cavern to nowhere. And it's just like, that can't be an FDA sanction because, like, you're, you're around all this food and just this, like, disgusting grimy underworld is just like right there and that's where they get rid of all the cookies and sweets they just dump them all down this hole we find out that barnaby is gonna marry mary to take care of her rent like barnaby's rich and he's sort of the town i don't know landlord i guess of the shoes so well the thing is mary needs to marry to get money so she's gonna marry barnaby but but jack sort of whisks her away and now barnaby wants to frame jack for cookie theft so that'll right. get him out of the picture and he can have mary back well was mary marrying barnaby for her rent or for her mother is she like is she widow hubbard's daughter because it seemed like widow hubbard was like real into this wedding because it seemed like her rent was going to get taken care of too yes that's her mother and yeah. i found okay. it really weird that mary was going to marry barnaby who right. turned out to be jack's uncle Oh yeah, and what was the what was like the line that they said that Keanu needed to get married so that he could get a job at the cookie factory? 
but he could only yeah. be 21 and he was going to turn 21 at noon on the next week. Right. Yeah. And I had a theory here. Now okay. that I, you brought up that Barnaby was Jack's uncle, we never see Jack's dad. So possibly Barnaby did like a Hamlet thing where he murdered the brother to take over the kingdom. If we bring that and merge it with my theory from earlier, do you think that any of these children are bastard children between Mrs. Piper and Barney from work? Whoa. I don't know. That's crazy. But one thing is clear <laughs> is that the mom is saying, you know, to her daughter, you get married to sort of clean up my mess or to, to pay my rent. I, that is the daughter. But then Drew Barrymore comes along and is like, why don't you just marry Barnaby? You're his age. You're older like him. You know, you like him. Uh, and she's like, oh, yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs> but then that never ends up happening. What I love about this world that they've created is that Drew Barrymore shows up as not only an outsider, but someone younger than everybody else she's talking to. And yet everybody just follows her lead the entire movie. They're all like, oh, this girl's got lots of good ideas. Like, let's just let's not, let's not worry about who she is or where she came from. Let's just do exactly what she says because she's got good ideas. And maybe that's, since this is in her dream world, maybe that's what she wants to happen in reality. Maybe she wishes people would listen to her more. Because she sees herself as an adult and she wishes that people listened to her instead of thinking she was an 11-year-old girl. Yeah, I mean, I wrote down tons of times, you know, 11 years old is not a baby. You know, 11 is not a kid. I'm not a kid. Her number one goal is, I guess, it just in life and then also now into Toyland is to get people to treat her like an adult. And in Toyland, she's able to do that, which is, I guess, why she loves Toyland so much. So she crafted this reality where she can have control of everything, you know, in a way, just to deal with her issues? Yeah. Okay. You know, it's like it's like the child of a broken home just having to escape into, like, some kind of, you know what I mean? It's just, like, <laughs> her life is so terrible that she needs to create this entire alternate universe where, like, people respect her, which is so sad. <laughs> Yeah, the more we keep talking about this, the more depressed I'm getting about this movie. It's not, it used to be cookies and dancing and singing, and, and now it's like she has all these problems back in reality. Like, should she even wake up? Should she just stay in Toyland forever? She should stay in Toyland forever because, I mean, she's loved there. I mean, she has friends there. She's got people who respect her and listen to her. Like, she should never leave. Why would she ever want to leave? I mean, they do get into a bit of danger, you know, but then it, that's all part of the adventure for her. It's She's never even had dangerous situations to get herself out of, and she takes quick control of that as well. Like, the first idea she has saves their lives. I know they all get trapped in a cage at some point under Barnaby's bowling ball, and he pumps gas into their cage to mutate them, and she's like, oh, just just fight it, just fight it. There's no peril, really. I mean, all that's there. It's just It's just basically playtime forever things never really stay bad for her but like it's weird that in this world there's such like a focus and an emphasis on prison that barnaby comes into town with like the, the chief justice and he's just like we have six months of cookies missing it's grand cookie larceny and keanu reeves did it and so they arrest him and they slide him down this like slide into prison and he's in there and or is, no, is there another? That's another prison, isn't that? Like that's an actual prison, and then there's like the basement prison. Are there two prisons in this movie? I remember them putting him in the back of the cop car, and it was just sort of a cage on wheels. And I was like, oh, Keanu's in the cage. I thought that was awesome. Then he gets sent to the police station, and they break him out of jail by telling the chief justice about the wonders of Cincinnati and King Pete Rose. And this is where Drew Barrymore, as this hero of the story, is able to rescue him by like telling Chief Justice about Cincinnati. 
I just know Jack Nimble's innocent, Your Honorship. He wouldn't steal a cookie from a baby, let alone a whole factory full. Well, I'm sorry, but that's the way the cookie factory crumbles. <laughs> Little joke. Justice Griffiths. Hmm? Hmm? Has anybody ever told you about Cincinnati? No. Why should they? What are Cincinnati's anyway? Some kind of Italian cookie? I've never eaten any. No, you don't eat them. Cincinnati's a place. A very amazing, magical city. And this guy, Pete Rose, hits the ball 4,192 times. And all the people stood up and cheered and made him the king of Cincinnati. I bet they did. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Well, I really must be going now. Which is awesome. It's like all she really has as a reference point is what we saw in the first five minutes of the movie. It's like that's all she really knows about her own world, too. So she doesn't bother to tell them about California and New York and like all the other amazing places, the Statue of Liberty, this or that. She's like, no, nah, just Pete Rose. He's the king of the planet that I'm from. The planet's called Cincinnati. And what this, what this moment reminded me of is that we talked a lot in Cage Club about how many times Cage was in prison. But here, this is the 12th thing we've done. And by my count, Keanu's been in jail in five movies already? He was, you know, a criminal arrested in Night Heat. He went to jail or was about to go to jail or whatever in One Step Away. Act of Vengeance, he went to jail at the end. Brotherhood of Justice, he went to jail at the end. And Babes in Toyland, he's in prison. So, like... Cage and Keanu, very similar in terms of their both propensity to break the law and get caught. Not only break the law, but also get caught. Yes, it is strange how much it, it occurs. And yeah, because he ends up in three different cages in this movie, Keanu. He's going to end up in Barnaby's dungeon at some point. They all will. And, and then after that, they have to sort of go on the lamb. Or they yeah. need to find the Toy Master, which kind of made me think ahead a little bit to one of the Matrix movies when Keanu's searching for a key master. Yeah. And who is the Toy Master but none other than Mr. Miyagi himself, Pat Morita? I mean, he must have been on set for, like, I don't know, three days? Like, he's, he's basically in, like, two locations. But, like, it's wonderful. Like, he's great, I think, in this. I think he's, he might be, like, the best part in this movie. He was definitely my favorite character. I mean, I love Keanu. Of course, Keanu was number one. And then sure. Mr. Miyagi. Well, Keanu in this movie is sort of like in the background. I mean, it's all really about Drew Barrymore. It's about her older sister and about Barnaby. And Keanu is just sort of there. Like, I almost feel like Georgie Porgy gets more screen time than Keanu. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's again, this one sort of like we were talking about with Under the Influence, where, like, they could have this whole other storyline that focuses on Keanu, and they just don't for one reason or another. You know what I mean? Like, he's there. And there's stories to be told and things for him to do, and just it just doesn't happen. Yeah, he's just not central to Drew Barrymore's journey throughout this whole thing, right? Like he's he's an accomplice, he's an acquaintance, you know, he's the goalie again, is what I like to call. It. Like anytime he's you know over fourth build, I think back to Young Blood, and you know he's here, he's got a presence, but he's not going to be upfront. And what I sort of liked about Pat Morita's or the Toy Masters lair or workshop or whatever is that all of his helpers all of his helpers sort of look like pikmin oh the man GameCube and the, like they all have like they're, they're just like in like a like a single color and then they've got like a hat on that looks like they're like a seed like it's weird right yeah. like that's sort of i can't think of a better way to describe what they look like i was thinking of thing one and thing two from cat in the hat and mm -hmm. this was the moment 
when I watched it, I just screamed, what are those? And I instinctively just <laughs> shut off the movie and threw the remote on the floor because that they were so jarring to see for some reason at that moment. I, I was just, I, I kind of couldn't handle it. The, the mood set with the toy factory, it was just so nice and calming and soothing and Amarita, it was just, and then out come these creatures that, oh my gosh, they just kind of scared me. There's things in here that are sort of the stuff of nightmares, but like nothing's played to be scary except for Barnaby's henchmen, right? The, the Nosferatu's, like everything else like could be terrifying, but it's not. Well, here's one question I have about the Toy Master. He supposedly makes all the toys for Santa. Like, Santa has started outsourcing his toys to this guy, and all the elves have been laid off, apparently. Like, that kind of disturbed me to some degree. Yeah, like, there's a recession in Toyland? <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I mean, because it's just weird how they bring Santa into this, and they set it up here. And, spoiler alert, at the end, I think Pat Morita is also Santa Claus. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't positive, but I was pretty sure. I sort of thought that might be the case when we first meet him, because he basically, I mean, he's the toy master, but he is Santa. Like, he's got people working for him, making toys. And so this is when they realize that Georgie Porgy's been eating the evidence that's going to, like, exonerate Keanu. And then Keanu plunges into the cookie abyss and sort of finds himself in jail again. And this is when Barnaby sings that song, right? And, like, the song he's singing is, like, kind of terrible. I want to share with you, dear boy The evil scheme that fills my heart with joy Its evil theme will never cease Cause I have created a monster beast I don't understand, like, what he's singing about. He's, like, not a great singer. Oh, like, here's Barnaby's solo, and it's just not a great song. I wrote down Barnaby's song just really isn't working for me. Like, it didn't rhyme. Yeah, you're right. It made absolutely no sense. I felt like it was just a filler song until our next song. Well, like, you really have to wonder what they cut out and they decided to leave this in. Maybe there was no other way that they could advance the story in a logical way except for leaving this song in, so maybe that's why it made the cut, but like, it just did not deserve to make the cut. What else is really bothersome about Barnaby that scares me is he seems to have a crew of Morlocks hanging out around him, just like these underground creature things with glowing eyes, and he's got a giant one-eyed raven in which he stares into its eyeball and it shows him the present in other places. Like, he can see what Drew Barrymore's up to across town if he looks into the raven's eye. It's getting sort of these Game of Thrones vibe off of Barnaby yeah. and it's like, you know, he looks like a crow from the wall as well, his uniform and everything. I was like, what is up with this movie? And speaking of eyes i think we have what did i write down it's uh chekhov's painted eye that we see pat Morita in the middle of the movie when we first meet him like paint like irises on these little toy eyeballs because like they're like the eyes are wrong the eyes are wrong he like saves the day by painting and at the very end of the movie he paints over the eyes eye right and that's mm-hmm. sort of how they escape yep it's like a weird focus on eyes like it's just more nightmare fuel is how i saw it i was like this seems too scary for how tame things are going on above ground. It doesn't seem evenly balanced. It seems like they're really scaring people underground where it's going too far at some points for me. And that's me speaking as an adult. <laughs> going, <laughs> This is going too far at some points. 
But this is when we find out that Barnaby has been storing all the evil of Toyland in this flask that also kind of looks like a bong. So I was calling it the bong of evil. I mean, a sort of like, I guess, channeling a little bit of Tenacious D, like the pick of destiny. And like he's been storing, I don't know where this evil's coming from, I don't remember, but like, he's been keeping it all in here, and he's gonna like, unleash it on the town in the form of these like, terrifying tree monsters. Yeah, I mean, who distills evil anyway? I was internally, like secretly hoping, because this movie was going off on so many different tangents, and was just blowing my mind, I was secretly hoping this was going to be some type of origin story for something else. Like, something evil inside of this bottle that was just going to be released, like, mayhem on Toyland. But not really. But it's it not. It was a letdown. <laughs> well, he steals the evil, the bottle that contains the evil, he steals it from Santa's workshop. So I right. wondered, did Santa need to distill the evil within himself into that bottle at some point to become pure Santa? Like, was he Krampus, and then he used the bottle, and now he's all good and no evil? Ooh, I don't know. Maybe. That would be a... That's a twist. What's he doing being the protector of evil? <laughs> I mean, he, if he, you know, he knows which kids are naughty and which kids are nice, and so maybe every oh. time he delivers coal to naughty kids, he takes a little bit of their evil? But also, if Toyland is all that exists, why does he even need to go in the air to deliver presents? Yeah, that's confusing, too. Somehow he has a way out of Drew Barrymore's mind to deliver gifts. Because he knows about Cincinnati, apparently. Like, he knows everything. He's Santa. So... It's weird that she would create a figment of her own imagination that knew more and had more power than she did. But it's at this point in the movie where, like, all like all cylinders are firing for evil, and like they're all they all accidentally sort of wind up in prison. And then this is when I think Mikey mentioned it earlier that Barnaby like gasses them, and he's about to turn them into like these evil monsters. And this is when Lisa's like, "No, guys, just like fight it, and like let's sing the Cincinnati song." And somehow, like in their subconsciousness, they all know the Cincinnati song, even though they don't really know what Cincinnati is, and they're all singing along with it. And like that's how they're able to overcome evil, I guess. Nothing's happening to me. I guess I'm immune because I've read Cincinnati. Yes, Cincinnati. Things will always be. It'll help keep your mind straight. C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I, Cincinnati, the best town you know, H-I-O, Ohio, U-S-A. Come on, toy must send those good people all of us, all of us, the good inside of you. They named it Cincinnati, so they say. Hey, the girls are pretty, pretty, in this pretty little city. The Cincinnati to save the day. I love the fake changing acting that everyone was doing in this scene, like the growling and the shaking and all that stuff. And then the transition from growling into the Cincinnati song was just 
was kind of great. I mean, at this point, I'm, I don't care what's about to happen. <laughs> like, it's just kind of, I'm just go, going along. It's really like the power of like positive thinking, I guess. I don't know. Then Barnaby comes back and, and she's like, act like a monster, you know? Let's pretend we're monsters and we'll make a break for it. And that's exactly what happens. Barnaby's like, ah, oh, I've got my new monsters. Come, come join the crew, the brood. And then they're like, let's go. We're not really monsters. Like, make a break for it. Like, they don't even pretend to monster their way toward the front door a little bit before they make a break for it. It's just like, we're out, let's run, we're out of here. And they're gone, and now this is sort of like Barnaby's, like, furious that he let them slip through his hands, and, like, his master plan is kind of, it's, it's all crumbling before him, and we see this great escape where Keanu's sort of swashbuckling, right? And he's like, the outfit he's wearing kind of looks like a pirate a little bit, or maybe I'm just putting that on him, I'm not sure. But, like, there's that vine, and he's, like, swinging across with Mary, and then he goes back and brings Lisa across, and then just, like, passes the vine back. He's just like, hey, George, you got this. They're all just, like, on their way out and they're escaping through that ladder up into the, the sweets factory. It's just like, the, this is their grand escape, and it's just like swinging across a ledge somehow and then like climbing up a ladder, and they're like almost free to go. Yeah, this is the part of the movie where I kind of mentally checked out. I'm, I'm like, all right, I'm so, I'm so lost on what's happening. First, you know, we were at the toy store, and there was a blizzard. Now we're in Toyland. Oh, there was a wedding, but not really. Then we're in this dungeon and there are killer trees. Yeah. Yeah, they're also, they're being chased by all these killer trees. It's like, I guess the Forbidden Forest is the only place that evil exists. And so that's where Barnaby's able to get his new henchmen from. But like, they're all just like these people that sort of look like, you know, army men in the, in the ghillies, right? It's just like crazy tree men just following them around. Yeah, he gets super pissed and basically declares war on Toyland at this point. And doesn't he just sort of walk over to a barn and open it up, and then that's where he's he stashed? It seems like that's where he stashed all of his monsters, or maybe there was another secret entrance from the underground. And they all kind of pour out into the town. Yeah, I feel like that's just, like, the one main exit for, like, the underground lair. That they're not going to climb up the ladder because they, mm-hmm. they block that off, right? So that's the only way that they can get out. And this is sort of the point in the movie where, like, the movie sort of becomes, like, the Three Stooges. And, like, the Nosferatu guys are just, like the biggest oafs that could just like, oh, now we're just doing slapstick now for some reason. Yeah, and this is when they released the Wooden Soldiers, which when I was a kid, I knew this story as March of the Wooden Soldiers, the early version from the 30s that was always on TV. So I was waiting for this moment to come. I was like, where are the soldiers? Where are the soldiers? It's, it's one of the most vivid moments from the other two versions that I watched. And here it's like, okay, but I feel like they shot the mayhem a little too close and it's cluttered and I can't really tell exactly what's happening. And it, it's ultimately just kind of a mess at the end for me the big battle anyway and like they realize that the way to beat barnaby truly in the end is for someone who doesn't believe in toys to start believing in toys again and this is like the the moral of the story that lisa like life made her grow up too fast and she's suddenly like the last hope for toyland and so now she has to believe in toyland and all that it stands for and if she does that then barnaby is gonna fall like it's sort of a weird kind of forced lesson but i guess that goes in with the whole rest of the movie where like nothing's set up right really in terms of like what the moral of all this is do you want to believe lisa yes i do more than anything. I guess life just made me grow up too fast. Although I do still have my teddy. I kept teddy. Did you hear that, everybody? She kept her teddy. Yes, I kept my teddy, and I miss him. 
then you do still remember how important toys can be, Lisa. Say that you really remember, Lisa. Remember, Lisa? Say, Say that you, you remember. remember. Yes, I do remember. Toyland has made me remember. I always wanted to be a kid. I always wanted to play with toys. I believe in all of you. And I am still just a kid. I really am. Yeah, this is where it became to Peter Pan crossover for me. Like, believing in things and everything will just work out the way that it should, regardless of anything that's happened before. Yeah, and this is the part that threw me off. Well, this is just another part that caught me off guard, too, is when we find out that all that stuff about Lisa that I just wasn't really getting off her, that she grew up too fast and she's trying to be an adult and she didn't have time to play or be a kid, and that's what's keeping the soldiers from coming to life and the toys from fighting back, is that she's the one that doesn't believe in any of this, yet it's all in her head. Like they wouldn't exist if she didn't believe in them, and yet she doesn't believe in them. And my mind can't even believe what I'm hearing. I think Pat Morita sings a song here, or part of a song. He does. Yep. That's kind of awkward, but uh, he gets through that. And she says she always wanted to be a kid again and play with toys. And that's when they release the soldiers and, and they do their march. Well, I guess sort of what makes sense now, I have in my notes, and I didn't realize this until we had that conversation earlier. What starts Lisa's, you know, return to childhood i guess is that she's like i have a teddy bear and like i still love that teddy bear and i guess that's maybe why barney at the store in the beginning was so insistent on pushing the teddy bears because the teddy bear would be sort of like what his ultimate downfall is possibly like there's also all these teddy bears walking around toyland i I think they're the police kind of so teddy bears are predominant they want you to think about that from the get-go from the beginning keep that in your head but it never really crossed my mind throughout the movie. I was just like, oh, all right, there's a teddy bear, there's a frogman, there's Humpty Dumpty. I was like, they're just crazy characters. I didn't think it would be so significant, but it's pivotal. You know, it's basically our mom's name is Martha. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, that's just, you know, our mom's name is Martha is now the key to everything in every movie. So that's just what we're going to do. Sip and Miss McGill's tea and our mother's name is Martha. Just a little Batman versus Superman in here. And so, you know, the toy soldiers and, like, the the police teddy bears and whatever, they all sort of chase evil out, and evil's vanquished in, like, the span of, like, two or three minutes. It seems like they just sort of, as soon as Lisa believes again in in Toyland or believes for the first time in Toyland, all is right with the world. Yeah, it kind of just wrapped up a little too fast for me. Like, it blew my mind, made my head swim the whole movie, and then, bam, everything is, it's fine. Toyland is as it was or should have been the whole time. Well, I feel like the whole thing wraps up quickly, and I don't know if that's because we have that 45 minutes cut out of the movie. You know, the movie is 96 minutes long, and she doesn't get back to Cincinnati until 93 minutes, I don't mm-hmm. think? It felt to me like she was never getting back. I thought she was going to stay there, which then perpetuated my theory of she's in a coma, and she's slipping and slipping, and that's why this is finishing faster and faster. Just, she's coming to her end at some point. But no, instead, we get the marriage that we've always wanted, that, you know, Keanu marries the older sister, Jack marries Mary. Then we find out that Pat Morita is Santa Claus, and he and Lisa ride off across the night, and they're about to deliver packages. And then this is when Lisa just wakes up on her couch. And what's kind of crazy is that she, like, one of the first things she says, because everybody that she loves is around her, right? Like, everybody from the movie, 
her mom is there and Mary's there and Jack is there and George is there. And then she's like, where's little Joey? Like, where's my younger brother? And the mom is just like, he's upstairs. Stop being such a mom. And it's just like, like, this girl basically just woke up from a coma, wants to know where her brother is. Like, don't yell at her. Like, that's Jesus, mom. Come on. Yeah, that was a bit harsh. I didn't see that in The Wizard of Oz. It wasn't like Dorothy woke up. And she's, like, she's like, you were there. You were there. Wait a minute. Where's the other guy? Oh, he's out doing chores. Just shut up. <laughs> the movie sort of ends on like a zoom in of a toy soldier under the Christmas tree. And I was like, please wink. Please wink. Like there's so much like focus on eyes. And the toy soldier does not wink, but his arm goes up in a salute. And I was like, all right, I'll accept the salute. That's like a sort of a nice fitting way to say goodbye to Lisa and say goodbye to us, the viewers of this crazy movie i also like drew barrymore had these incredible words of wisdom to her mom i guess this was what she learned throughout the entire journey i wrote down she says um we have to stay young try to be good and believe now i don't believe in what i just just believe in reality so we stay grounded in a way and we don't we don't create these fantasy worlds for ourselves you gotta believe you just gotta believe just believe period just believe yeah believe that's all you gotta do just believe Toy soldiers, don't you see? I believe in you. I believe in you and all the toys. And all of Toyland, I really do. So that's pretty much Babes in Toyland. Pat Morita will return in a few movies, or even Cowgirls Get the Blues, but nobody else that was in this movie will ever work with Keanu again. So this is sort of another one of those standalone, one-off whatevers. Fingers crossed that Drew Barrymore joins John Wick 3. I'd like to see that. Sure, me too. I'm cool with Drew Barrymore joining whatever in terms of Keanu. The one thing that we're talking about, I think, off mic, and that I wanted to mention here, and it, it, it doesn't, and Jess, I don't know if, I don't think I told you, I told Mike last night, but like this movie sort of gave me a Fast Times at Ridgemont High vibe, that it's sort of the, the world that they're living in, kind of. I mean, it's like a G-rated Fast Times. But the older sister looks so much like Phoebe Cates, and they're talking about, like, going out, like, on pizza dates, and, like, there's that pizza restaurant. And it's just, like, I don't know, like, I mean, it's a couple years after Fast Times. It's just this idyllic high school or, you know, right after high school world that these people live in. And I don't know, it just, it it was sort of strange. It was, like, Fast Times meets Wizard of Oz, but, like, all, like, in a G-rated world. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like this movie was just a mashup of a lot of different thoughts. I think at some point... You and I talked about this. I felt like everyone in the movie was on LSD or someone was on something when they created this film. Oh, almost certainly. Now that you say that, I get a Sid and Marty Croft feeling from Toyland in this one where everything's just off, like the axis of the earth has shifted improperly for some reason in Toyland, so everyone's acting insane. At some point in my life, I think I might try to find that two-hour and 20-minute version, which seems just, like, so crazy long for this movie. But, like, I sort of want to see the story that they, I guess they wanted to tell. Like, I don't know why. Supposedly, there's no plans to release that version on DVD or Blu-ray ever. I'm not sure why it just doesn't exist. You know, just put it out. Although this movie's not on DVD either. Like, we had to buy the VHS because it's not on DVD. Like, even, like, the 96-minute the cut. So who knows what's going on with this movie? Yeah, I think the 30s version does a good job of, like, a lot of good sight gags. Um, It explores these other storybook characters a lot more, and there's a lot more of that in that version. So if you are interested in seeing more, go watch the 30s version. I actually, I recommend it. It's a pretty well-made movie for the time. And then in the 60s Disney version is actually really pretty great, too. There's none of the 
animal characters. It's all humans, and it's in Technicolor. It's great, but there is kind of an offensive gypsy dancing moment. And then there's sort of an offensive song about a girl who sings how bad at math she is. So if you can get past those two moments, there's some amazing early Disney special effects going on in that movie. So there's a version out there for everybody. Well, that's good. So no matter who you are, there's a Babes in Toyland for you. Maybe that's what you have to believe in. That there's No matter who you are, you can believe that there's a Babes in Toyland for you. That's beautiful. Thank you. Jess, did you have anything else in your copious notes that you wanted to discuss that we did not get to? You know, the only other thing that I wrote down was the mom. So she's got these three kids, none of which any of them look the same. And maybe that's just casting. But then That might we, just be casting. Well, then we get to Drew's, you know, Toyland, and she's got 20 different kids. I mean, she's hitting on the priest at the end. Is she trying to get another kid? Like... I have written down here, Mother Hubbard is hot to trot. And that's why I think maybe, you know, that theory of the mom and the boss, you know, maybe it's maybe it's true. Maybe she's sleeping around town and just having kids with everybody. Maybe. We'll never know. <laughs> maybe they cut it out of the longer cut and it was like a PG-13 version and they <laughs> whittled it down to this G-rated one. Like Jess, I will never know, and I don't want to know. I just sort of want to know. I, like, I mean, just I, I like the idea of what I have better than any reality could be. Well, thank you very much, Jess, for joining us. You'll be back a few more times. Not, not too long until we get to The Last Time I Committed Suicide, which I think is your next movie. So, th- great first episode, and we're, we're excited to have you back not too long from now. I am excited to do this again. I don't think any of the movies that you're going to do are going to be as crazy as Babes in Toyland, but, I mean, maybe that's a good thing. Who knows? It's a great first start. So for all things Keanu Club, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. You can find past episodes, what's coming up next, all the episodes that we've published, as well as everything Cage Club, everything Zack Attack, and everything Monkey Club. So no matter what kind of movie you want to watch or talk about or listen to, we've got you there at cageclub.me and facebook.com slash cageclub. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. That was Jess Knight, and we'll see you next time on Keanu Club. I come from Cincinnati, the best town in Ohio, USA. At first they called it Cincy, but since Cincy is so natty, they named it Cincinnati, so they say. Hey, the girls are pretty, pretty in this gritty little city.